Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. dive into the scripture reading for today. Uh, So today we're reading from Matthew 26 verses 1 through 29 Uh, and you can follow along on a Bible or there's one at the back if you want to do that but it will also be on the screen Um, and I'll jump right in at verse 1. When Jesus had finished all of these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Cephas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at a table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at a table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink all of it, all of you, uh, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit and of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's open with a word of prayer. God, we thank you that we can be here today to worship you. Um, God, would we uh, be people that worship you with just our, everything that we have. Would we 
devote our lives to following you because you are worth it. Um, would you open our hearts today to hear uh, your word preached, and would we just be receptive? God, if there's any sin that we need to turn from, God, would we be just willing to um, turn from that and turn to you? And would we just see the beauty of Jesus on full display today? God, we love you. Praise in your name. Amen. If you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? If you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? I want to hear some answers from you guys. Dad. Who else? Jesus. The right answer in church. <laughs> and out of church, you know. Anyone else? No one wants to say anything after Jesus. They're like, well, that, <laughs> I think that was kind of the right answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone's like Shaquille O'Neal. I don't know. <laughs> Who's that? The Queen of England. Yeah. Well, so I saw this question asked on social media the other day. Uh, it was the social media account of a football team that are called the Philadelphia Eagles. And, and I guess what their social media team does is they, they go to all the players and they kind of ask them a bunch of fun questions. And so this was one of them. If you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? And again, you know, if you're a Christian, there's probably only one right answer to this question, right? It's Jesus. Um, one of their players actually said that. That was kind of cool. Um, and if you're here today, you'd probably likely agree, right? The, the best person to have dinner with would be Jesus. What if that dinner, though, was the Last Supper? Right? What if you lived during the time of Jesus and you were invited to dine with him for his last meal? Would you be prepared for that? I wonder what images this dinner brings up for you. Does it maybe bring up a, a picture of a famous painting, maybe an intimate gathering of friends? Today we're looking at this story from Scripture, and what we're going to see is that it may reveal a different dinner than what we would imagine. During this dinner, uh, Jesus prepares his disciples for his impending death. He tells his disciples that one of them would betray him. One of them would, would soon turn him over to be arrested and put to death. And Jesus dines with his betrayer and his friends as they contemplate over who that would be. Perhaps that would not be the most comfortable dinner to be at. I wonder if, if you and I would be prepared to dine with Jesus. If you're new here today, we're continuing in our series in the book of Matthew. I mean, if you're not familiar, Matthew tells the story of the life of Jesus. So it talks about uh, a lot about his ministry here on earth, uh, his teachings and his healings. And the book culminates with his death and his resurrection. And we are almost at that point. Um, we're, we're coming very close to the death of Jesus. Over the past couple of weeks, we've seen as Jesus enters into Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And so if you're not familiar, Passover is a festival that celebrates the freedom of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And so during Passover, many Jews would come to Jerusalem to celebrate with a feast. They would come to, to remind one another of the freedom that God had provided them so many years ago. And so this is what the festival is that Jesus has arrived for. Over the, the past two weeks, 
we've seen as Jesus is at this festival and he's teaching his disciples and the crowds there. And the main thing that he teaches while in Jerusalem was to be ready, to be prepared. Jesus teaches that we are to be prepared for the return of Christ. And he tells us how to be prepared. He says we're to be prepared by living a life of repentance. We're to be prepared for him to come at any moment. We're to be prepared to endure till the very end. We're to be prepared by being faithful stewards. And we're to be prepared by caring for his church. So again, all of this, uh, the focus was on being prepared for the return of Christ. And this is the last thing that Jesus would publicly speak about to the crowds before he would die. Today, again, this theme of being prepared, it comes back into our text. Except today we're not talking about it um, in terms of what we have in the past. We're talking about it a little bit differently. So rather than instructions about being prepared, we're looking at Jesus being prepared. And we see as Jesus prepares himself and his disciples for his death. So we're going to look at as Jesus gets ready for his death. The main thing I want us to see from our text is this. King Jesus came prepared to die for undeserving people. King Jesus came prepared to die for undeserving people. Let me give us a little bit of an outline to begin. What we have in our text for today are five short sections that are leading up to the death of Jesus. So five sections here. Um, I've given each of these sections titles. They kind of correspond with pr- probably how they're divided in your Bible. Um, but I've kind of given them uh, 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 different titles than what you see in your Bible. Um, you don't need, necessarily need to remember these, but they may be helpful to, to follow along in our text for today. So here's what we see. Verses 1 to 5, what we see is the religious leaders prepare to kill Jesus. Religious leaders prepare to kill Jesus. Verse 6 to 13, we see Jesus' body is prepared for death. His body is prepared for death. In verses 14 to 16, we see Judas prepares to betray Jesus. Judas prepares to betray Jesus. In verses 17 to 25, we see the Passover meal is prepared. And in verses 26 to 29, we see that a greater feast is being prepared. A greater feast is being prepared. Let's dive right into it. Again, the first five verses, we see the religious leaders prepare to kill Jesus. The religious leaders prepare to kill Jesus. As Natalie just read for us, Jesus tells his disciples that he is about to be delivered up to be crucified. And we see as the chief priests and the elders, they conspire to arrest and kill him. One of the things that we've seen, particularly in the past few weeks, is this conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. And and we see as this tension continues to build here. You might remember that Jesus has confronted them before when he turned over the money tables in the temple. Furthermore, some of his teachings specifically called out the religious leaders uh, because they wanted to be seen as devout. That's what they were living for, right? They, they wanted to be viewed as more righteous than others. So uh, in one of the, the, the verses that we talked about recently, uh, Jesus calls them out because it says they had long fringes in order to be noticed by others. They 
broaden their phylacteries, which was uh, uh, these kind of boxes that held scripture. You were to fasten them to your, your forehead and, and your arm. And, and so they broadened them in order to be seen by others. Uh, what it says is they loved the places of honor at feasts and greetings in the marketplace. And their motive in all of this was to be viewed by the people as righteous. But Jesus taught that is not what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is not about outward appearance, but inward appearance. And so this tension has been building between them. And the religious leaders are now at a point that they are so upset with Jesus that they are willing to have him killed. And so they prepare to have him arrested and killed. One thing to note here is verse 5. Verse 5, it says this. It says of, of the, the religious leaders, it says, But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So their desire here is to have Jesus murdered, but they don't want to do it at the risk of looking barbaric or evil in front of the people. What are we seeing here? Whether it is going above the law or below it, their heart isn't for Jesus. They don't really care what God thinks. They care about what people think of them. And they always have. They care that they look extra religious, and so they do things that are above the law, what, 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 uh, above what Scripture says. And when they break the law, they plan to do it secretly so that others will not find out their faults. In both cases, it is a rejection of God's law. In one situation, the religious leaders reject the law by adding to it. In another situation, they reject it by taking away from it. And both do so because they are more concerned with what others think about them than what God thinks about them. In church, we need to be careful that our actions are not motivated by what others think, but what God thinks. This example shows us that both piousness and rebelliousness are detrimental, particularly when we are motivated by what others think rather than what God thinks of us. Proverbs 9, 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so it is with awe and respect of God that motivates us to live righteous lives. Let us be in awe of King Jesus who came prepared to die for undeserving people. Let us be motivated by a love of God, not a fear of man. Next we see as Jesus is anointed with oil from a woman. In this next section, we see Jesus' body is prepared for death. Jesus' body is prepared for death. This story, it tells as this woman pours a very expensive ointment on Jesus' head as he is at a friend's house. And it's helpful to, to look at some of the other Gospels for more details about what's going on here. So in our story, what we see is the woman here is unnamed. If we look at the, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John, they both identify the woman here as Mary. So the woman here in this story, uh, her name is Mary. Also, the other Gospels tell us that the ointment used by Mary was worth about 300 denarii, which... Uh, to translate in that, in that to our terms, it would be basically a year's worth of wage. So this is a huge amount of money, right? I don't think I have anything in my house that's worth a year's worth of wage. Um, except for my kids, you know. I don't know. Yeah, they're worth much more than that. Um, 
but <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. But it may seem unusual that she would pour this oil on his head, right? According to a commentary I read this week, in that day, anointing would be an appropriate way to honor a guest or a rabbi if they came into your home. This didn't happen all the time, though. It would likely be reserved for guests of high status and only on special occasions. And again, what we see is this ointment that she uses is beyond expensive. And what would be necessary for a special guest? She is going above and beyond what would be appropriate in this situation. And so what is she saying in her actions here? What does this mean that she would anoint Jesus in this lavish way? What she's saying is Jesus is worth it. What a privilege it is to have Jesus with us in our presence. Jesus could have been anywhere he wanted during this festival, and he chose to be with us. So bring out the most expensive of the oil. He deserves to be anointed. Mary is giving up much for Jesus. And this is what true worship is. Is saying, Jesus is worth my all. He's worth my best. Everything that I have, my entire life. Jesus is in our presence. What a privilege and an honor. Let me tell you, he is worth your everything and so much more because he thought it was worth it to give his all for you. He gave up his entire life for you. He was prepared to die for undeserving people. People. He was prepared to give up what he deserved as a king to take on what we deserved as rebels. And so we should worship him as one who is worthy. We see the, the disciples' reaction, right? They, they respond with anger towards the woman. It says they were indignant. They say, what a waste. We could have sold that and given the proceeds to the poor. Now, that may seem like that would be a good thing to do. In fact, Jesus has told them many times to care for the poor. Even here, he says, you will always have the poor with you. In other words, what he's saying is, you will have many opportunities to provide for the poor. But this would be one of the last opportunities they would have to be with Jesus. What are, what are the disciples not realizing here? They don't recognize that they have but mere moments left with Jesus. They don't realize what's about to happen, that Jesus would soon be nailed to a cross for their sins. And so they don't realize the value that it is that is, he is here with them. They don't realize that he is worth this worship and so much more. And so Jesus uses this as a lesson. He, he lovingly rebukes the disciples. He says, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. And he says, she has done it to prepare me for burial. So in Jesus' day, uh, when there was a death, you would prepare the body by wrapping it in cloths and putting spices and perfumes between the layers of cloth. And so by anointing him, Jesus says she is preparing him for death. Is that what's really happening here, though? Is Jesus saying that she is literally preparing his body for burial? That's not exactly what is happening. Jesus' physical body did not need to be prepared because Jesus would not stay dead. 
Jesus would rise from the dead three days after he died by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is not exactly about preparing his physical body. What is happening here then? Jesus is saying that symbolically, her actions are pointing to his death. Whether she realized it or not, Jesus uses it to say, this woman is actually showing you what's about to happen to me. I'm about to die. And that's why this is so beautiful to Jesus. That's what makes this important. Mary's heart is to self-sacrificially worship Jesus, and in doing so, she points to the death of Christ. There's so much that we can learn from this. God is pleased with worship that points to what Jesus has done for us. When we recognize the love of Jesus for us, our lives will say, I give my all to him because he died for me. I give the best that I have, and it is not because I am good. It is because he is good. He was willing to die for me. My sin is nailed to the cross with him, and so I no longer live in that. I give my life to follow him because he gave his life to die for me. Church, let us give everything to Jesus and let us point the world to the death of Jesus. In it is where our salvation was purchased. So does our worship show the world that Jesus died for us? King Jesus came prepared to die for undeserving people. He is worth all of our worship. While Jesus prepares his disciples for his death, we see that Judas prepares to betray Jesus. Judas prepares to betray Jesus. One thing we should remember in all of this is that Judas was a disciple of Jesus. He walked with him. He heard all of his teachings. He witnessed the miracles that he did. He ate with him. They visited their friends together. And so as Jesus rebukes the disciples, who would be present here? Judas. Judas was one of the disciples who would have been there for this rebuke. In fact, the Gospel of John tells a little bit more about his role in this story. This is from the same story from the vantage of John. It says this. It says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And it says this. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas loved money more than he loved Jesus. And his love of money is put on full display as right after this, he goes out, he conspires with the chief priests, and he agrees to hand Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. As Jesus was preparing to die for his people, Judas was preparing to betray him. This should give us pause that we ought to love nothing more than Christ himself. Whether money, power, sex, praise from others, nothing should exceed the love that we have for Jesus. Loving anything more than Jesus is betrayal and it leads to death. Death of ourselves and death of others. This is where we come to the Passover meal. We come to the first day of Passover and the disciples prepare the Passover meal. Jesus arranges for the meal to be prepared at a certain man's house. He tells the disciples to go into the city and tell the man 
They're to, they're to say, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. And I found this really interesting. So I read this uh, from this commentator this week named Stuart Weber, and he writes this. He says, the reason Matthew included these details was to show Jesus' careful preparation for this meal. The king himself was making these arrangements. Right? There is not a single part of this story where Jesus is not in control. Jesus is about to dine with his betrayer. He is about to be abandoned by his friends. He's about to be arrested, mocked, beaten, and nailed to the cross. And A, he knows it, and B, he's orchestrating it. Right? This dinner has been planned by him. His betrayer is invited, and he's not running away from it because he is in fully control of what is going to happen. King Jesus came prepared to die for undeserving people. What was meant for evil, God meant for good. And so this Passover meal is prepared. A lamb would be sacrificed. Unleavened bread would be burned, remembering the day the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt, where they didn't have enough time for their bread to rise. And so they urgently had to leave because God had freed them. And a course of bitter herbs would be served initially as the lamb was roasting. Wine would be had together. And as they are dining, Jesus stops to say, one of you is about to betray me. At a meal full of friends, people who had lived their lives together for years, Jesus says, my betrayer is in this room. And so they ask him, they go around, all the disciples, they say, is it I, Lord? One after another, is it I, Lord? Here's what Jesus says. He says, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. A couple things to note here. When Jesus says, he says, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. That would have been everyone in the room, Right? In, in this case, in, in, uh, it, would have, it would have been the case that uh, the food that they were eating was communal, meaning that everyone would have been eating from the same dish. And so it is not clear to the disciples who exactly Jesus is talking about here. What is clear to them is that it is a so-called friend. One of them at the table is about to betray Jesus. And Jesus tells them, that there is severe punishment awaiting for that person. He says it would be better for that man if he had not yet been born. And in light of this, Judas looks at Jesus and he asks if he is the betrayer. He says, is it I, Rabbi, knowing full well that it is? And Jesus, knowing fully well that it is as well, says, you have said so. What I want us to see in this is the grace that Jesus provides him. Jesus is giving him one last chance to repent. At any point here, Judas could have owned up to what he did, confessed, and turned from his sin. And he doesn't. He looks Jesus in his face, is called out, and he chooses to live with 
the decisions he made. Let me say to us here today, it is not too late for you to turn from your sin. Do not make the same mistake that Jesus does here of doubling down on your sin. If you are hearing this message today, Jesus is patient with you, longing for you to turn from your sin. You have an opportunity today to come to him. God is patient with us, even though we do not deserve it. And yet, for those who think they can live with their sin, the consequences are great. Let us turn from our sin before it is too late, for we have a wonderful King Jesus who came prepared to die for undeserving people. The final section we see as Jesus implements what we call the Lord's Supper. So Jesus breaks the bread, uh, drinks the wine with the disciples. He does this all during the, the, the Passover meal. If you've been connected with uh, a church for, for any time now, you may have observed this happen before. Some people call it communion. Some call it the Eucharist. Some call it the Lord's Supper. Um, we did it together last week, and it is something that is very important to us as Christians. Jesus tells us that we are to do this regularly. He tells us the significance of it. He says the bread symbolizes his body that is broken for you and I. The wine symbolizes the blood that was shed for us. Jesus says it is poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And so when we take communion together, we are reminding ourselves of the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. We should be reminded of this night when Jesus ate with his friends and one who would betray him. We should be reminded that in everything he is fully in control and that King Jesus came prepared to die for undeserving people like you and I. It is his sacrifice that atones for our sin. His blood that was shed was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And at the end, he tells his disciples this. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with, new with you in my Father's kingdom. What we see in this is that a greater feast is being prepared. A greater feast is being prepared. A feast with Jesus in the kingdom of God. As he prepares the disciples for his death, he leaves them with a promise of a future life with them. One day, true friends of Jesus will be reunited together at a feast with him in heaven. Jonathan Griffiths writes this. He says, finally, we look forward to the day when Jesus will return. The celebration of the supper serves as a proclamation of Jesus' death, which anticipates his return. Jesus himself, when he instituted the supper, ate it in, in anticipation of the future. The ultimate outworking of God's salvation plan has long been associated with a promise of a great banquet. The Lord's Supper serves as a foretaste of that ba great banquet, even as it reminds us of the only basis of our hope for participating in it. So for those who put their faith in Jesus, there is a great feast coming. It is a feast where we'll be surrounded by friends and this time, no betrayer. We will dine with Jesus at the wedding feast of the Lamb where Christ comes for his bride, makes her pure, and celebrates for eternity with her. 
And this is the feast we look forward to when Christ returns. And our ticket to this feast is through Jesus. It is through faith in him. At this feast, we will remember our own personal Passover where Jesus freed us from slavery to sin. And we will dine with King Jesus, the king who came prepared to die for us, though we did not deserve it. Though we are the betrayers, the ones who have failed to worship him rightly, the ones who not long after this would abandon him. We are undeserved deserved of God's grace, and yet he continues to give more. What a king we have. And he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our entire lives. He is worth showing the world that he came to die for us. Let us live lives that point to the king who came prepared to die for us. So are you prepared to dine with Jesus? Through faith in him, we will dine with him for eternity in heaven where he has prepared a place for us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.